Hello, and welcome to Spartan Speak, a podcast from the Lansing State Journal and Detroit Free Press focused on Michigan State sports. I'm Phil Friend, your host, podcast producer, and sports writer for the LSJ, joined by Freebie writer Chris Solari and LSJ sports columnist Graham Couch. What you guys are hearing right now is the second recording of that intro. I lost in uh, the first minute and a half of the conversation with Graham and Chris, where we, we spend a bulk of the podcast talking about Michigan State's win over Rutgers on Tuesday night and with uh, the Nebraska win on Saturday night as well. And then we get into a little bit of football news with Trayvon Morgan entering the transfer portal. And we'll jump right in there, and thanks for listening. You had 14 turnovers in the first half, but it, what's interesting is that there were so many dynamics on the defensive side that that, that helped offset that in, in that they blocked eight shots in the game. They, blocked, they t- had five steals. Um, so the possessions they were giving up, they were getting back. And they, the fact that they led start to finish was – very impressive and and I think Graham probably one of the other big things is we saw this team come out uh, I think it was an 11-4 run to start the game Uh, that's been a problem as well so I mean it seems like a lot of areas um, from the collective as well as the rebounding I mean they they out-rebounded Rutgers by 20-21 that to me I think you know you saw this was and Tom Izzo said it after the game and and I wrote about it and you wrote about it this was a Michigan State win. This was what people expect from Michigan State basketball, including Tom Izzo. Yeah, I agree with Chris. I mean, I think it was needed for the way it happened, right? I mean, it's that they'd won in a style that make they're comfortable as a program being, and that they've, you know, I mean, Rutgers, legitimate Big Ten team, went over Illinois, played Iowa, a two-point game. I mean, to out-rebound them by – 20 to and to have Aaron Henry be that dominant on both ends of the floor and have some other guys get comfortable and um, I, I think there were a lot of just a, a, a ton of pluses for a team that looked like it was about to be a bubble team uh, that now looks like it can take some swings with the the upper crust of the Big Ten. And I, I think that you know obviously this is a, a an important stretch for them because they got four or five at home um, so you have to defend home court um, you know you you lost the Christmas Day game to Rutgers. Um, or excuse me, to, to Wisconsin. Um, this is this was. I don't want to say a must-win game, but you know, you start the conference schedule one and four. I mean, you pretty much put yourself out of it, no matter how deep and how much there, there's going to be a lot of, uh, I guess, knocking each other off down the next few months. This was this was a, a big win, not just how they did it, but but when they did it and they got to be able to, they got Purdue coming in Friday or at least supposed to come in Friday. Um, th- there needs to be a continuance of, of what they started at, 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 at um, Nebraska and then built upon with, with the Rutgers game. Well, I was going to say the one thing I, that I, that just really stood out for me the past two games is of course, is the, just the overall performance of Aaron Henry, both on the offensive and defensive side of the ball. She had, he had 27 points, four rebounds against Nebraska and then uh, Tuesday night against Rutgers, an even more all around game with 20 points, eight rebounds, four blocks, two steals and one assist. Now he's not going to score 27 to 20 points every game, but that overall all around performance, I think is what people expected from Aaron Henry this year. And we're, he's starting finally to deliver on, on some of that. Yeah, I think, you know, I mean, Aaron Henry's a hard guy to trust as a star, right? Because we've seen him sort of fade in and out of that ability. But what what was really impressive in this game is I thought the Nebraska game had a lot to do with, um, I mean, I thought he played obviously very well, but I thought it also had something to do with Nebraska's collective weakness defensively and the the matchup that Thor, Thor, whatever his name is, 
A lot uh, of letters. Teal. A lot of letters. Sounds like somebody the Swedish chef would say on the Muppets or something. But um, I thought it was a lot of it was matchup driven, and he presented with the opportunity, he had a great game. This was much more impressive to me because it was uh, both ends uh, throughout. It was a very efficient offensively, and it was also big moments. And I, there was a moment in the uh, second half. It's thirty-six thirty. Rutgers cuts it to that, and you know it looks like they're going to get going. And Aaron Henry calmly hits this seventeen-foot jumper from the baseline, and then the, Rutgers doesn't score in the next trip down. He buries a three. And boom, it's 41-30. And just like that, you know, those are big moments in a big game. And, and those are things that speak to mental toughness. And and, and what he really has to do is you're not going to shoot eight for 13 every day. He doesn't need to be that guy. But he needs to be that guy on both ends of the court. Like, if you can be this disruptive in passing lane, making up for mistakes with blocks, and then if you shoot even five for 13 with – two of four or five threes or six, you know, six of 13 with one of four threes. If you wind up being a 15 point score and you're that guy on the other end, Michigan state can win a lot with you. You don't, you know, I mean, it helps if you go eight for 13, but I just thought that's, he was so efficient and how, and how much he shot, where he shot from the shots he took and, and sort of being this guy who athletically changed the game for them. Um, that was, that was interesting. Let's now we'll see how he follows it up. You know, and, and when they play a team like Iowa, where Iowa has a really difficult matchup for MSU, but the guy like Wieskamp is, you know, a guy you need to kind of control and shut down, and also you need to be able to score against, and you need to be the matchup problem. What does he do in that game? Those are the sort of things I'm, I'm curious about. Well, and the other thing isn't just what he did, it's when he did it. I mean, you know, he scored seven points out of the gate in the first six and a half minutes, and in, in the second half, he scored seven points in the first seven plus minutes so i mean when michigan state can get off to a a big start like that if henry's the guy then then keep feeding him and i think he did a good job of that and they did a good job of getting him the ball he's getting in the paint still um he's not just relying on the jumper which i think is the important thing i mean you know you you see too many guys over the last few years rely on the outside shot i think rocket watts has been one of those but i think he, he too also in the second half started to look a little more aggressive at going to the basket. Um, I I think that there's a lot to like uh, about what you're seeing at the guard spot. And the other thing, too, is not just Aaron Henry, but the other guys around him defensively on the perimeter. I mean, that was a a small group of guards um, and a talented group of guards that and a deep group of guards that Rutgers brought out there. And they stifled them on the perimeter. Um, I, I think Hogard's developing. Langford still looks sometimes a step slow, but I think that when when you saw him in the second half start to heat up a little bit, you, you saw flashes of, of who he was and maybe who he can still be. Um, same with Watts in the second half. I, I mean, you know, and Rocket Watts is another case here because I think if he can get the defensive side and work on that pairing with Henry, he's going to play more than 15 minutes at that point. But right now that's kind of what I think is holding him back a little bit too. Um, but but Henry in particular has got to be, you know, the star and the glue guy in some ways. And that's that's not an easy task, but that's what he signed up for when he came back. Yeah, and, you know, I, I think what, what he does when he's playing that well is, and, you know, he gets him this comfortable margin. I mean, he it allowed everybody else to find them their own roles. I mean, a lot of guys who have been struggling, right? I mean, so 
to me, when you know you, you, Hauser had didn't play particularly well in the last game, Rocket Watts obviously we've talked a lot about him struggling. Joshua Langford who didn't play well in the first half. Um, you've got a freshman point guard who you know, and and um, you know there are a lot of different guys who. Um, I mean, there were other elements of this game that were important. I thought, you know, Malik Hall and his defense on on Ron Harper Jr. was yeah incredible. Hey man, Kithier. Yeah, Kith- hey and, Kith- and you know, Kithier was really, you know, really telling moment is when you know to start the game, you've got this matchup issue, right? And you're trying to start your usual starting lineup. Ron Harper is this sort of guard four man. It's a four round one offense. It's six foot six, but he's you know, that's not an ideal matchup for your bigs. And you go Kithier over Hauser. And, I, you know, I think that is telling of, you know, a little of Kithier, or a little of Hauser, I mean, but also understanding that Kithier can dial in and do the right things and go above screens and get by long enough to allow you to play that lineup on the floor. I thought that was, um, that was, that was really interesting to watch. I, I want to ask you one thing before we get off the, this topic, because you did bring up, uh, Hogarth a little bit there, and I think it runs in in concert with Henry. I mean, he had four turnovers in the game, which is I think is the one black mark on him. But how much do you think that is just getting used to to some of the things of, of having a new point guard who's got a different style than maybe the other two guys that you've been used to playing with this season in terms of because you know, Tom Izzo talked about the spacing issues. I think, you know, Henry's a guy that, that obviously thrives in the middle. Langford's a guy who can get into the, the free throw extended area as well. But but Hoggard likes those lanes. I mean, how much do you think that Hogard just needing to get reps with these guys will alleviate those spacing concerns? Yeah, I mean, some of it is, yeah, right. You're learning uh, with a new guy. And one of the things that didn't happen, I know Hogard was, was hurt in the, the preseason. Um, but I was talking with a guy who, you know, former division one assistant who thought that Michigan state struggles and a lot of teams, the Kentucky's Dukes, the world Memphis. One of the things he said was that, you know, these guys didn't get the summer together. Usually get where, and what happens in those summers when you're playing uh, pickup games at Breslin is there is a, there, there are understanding of how guys play together is evolved. There's a pecking order who's good and who's not and who does what and who doesn't and who you like to play with and how you play off people. All those sort of familiarity things were lost this year. And so for teams that have a lot new, you know, Wisconsin and Iowa, for example, really benefit Illinois, too, from having a lot back. And there are teams that have, if, if, you know, Michigan's looked really good with a lot of new pieces. And so, I mean, it's not it's not that some programs haven't handled it really well. But um, I, I think that Hogard, um, I mean, he clearly is, is, is helped. He clearly has provided jolt. He clearly has an eye as a point guard. Um, and I think, uh, but the, the interesting thing with, 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 with a guy like, um, Hauser is Hauser is, I mean, he does catch, he'll catch and shoot in the perimeter, but he's a guy you, you more th- is some of his best offenses, you know, the, the high, you know, the high elbow, you know, um, throw it, throw it to him on the block and, and let him go to work a little bit. And that's not something that, that was a struggle before that, that part of things was, was there. And so, yeah, I, I think that is. I think that's a fair. I think they're they're still figuring each other out. And 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 Hogarth is not somebody who was played that much in the preseason and a little bit of practice they had. And he's not been. Um, and they certainly didn't have that summer with him. Well, I think the other thing that we saw in in this game too, and I, I alluded to it quite a bit in the questions I asked, uh, was the two man game at the end with with Hauser and Watts. And I think that that's something that. 
you know, Michigan State's done that over the years, and I think you saw it some at times with Winston and Tillman last year, um, the last two years, really, uh, that developed, I think, once Nick Ward went out with that hand injury and Tillman became kind of a factor. Is this something that can be a, a, a legitimate part of this to diversify the offense so they're not just going and relying on on that intense ball movement and and skip passes to get a, get go from good shots to great shots and and things like that. This is this is more of a creating something that that I think that this offense has kind of lacked maybe at times uh, through the first ten games. Yeah, no, I, and and I, I agree. I thought that was those are good points. And and one of the things you know when you watch Watts and and, and I mean Watts and Hauser are the two. To me, it's weird because Henry's their best player, but in the half court, their two go-to guys are probably Watts and Hauser. Henry's not somebody who, you know, you, who can dribble well enough and 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 really um, create his own all the time in the half court. Whereas, as you can play that those sort of games, those rever- use reverse ball screens, get in the you know outer third of the court with with Hauser and and, and Watts, and 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 I think be really effective with those two guys, and because. Watts to me is the guy who, you know, he's the guy that if they're going to get anywhere and towards their ceiling, he's got to start scaring opponents. But finding ways to be effective with him in the half court is a big part of that because what one of the things that worked so well against Rutgers was Rutgers shot poorly. They played great defense. They rebounded well, so they were able to run. They didn't have to do a whole lot of half court stuff to make that game happen for them. And um, I, I'm curious to see when a team is able to finish at the rim or hit shots and, and, and the game gets bogged down in the half court where this MSU team starts to go. And I think, I think the Hogard, uh, or sorry, the, the Watts, um, Hauser combo is, is, uh, is really a, a huge part of the answer. And we didn't even really see, you know, like a pick and pop situation from that last night, but that's something of course that could eventually here become a huge part of, especially if watch continues. Well, up until last night, he was been pretty inefficient. I think I read twenty two percent shooting coming into the game. But uh, if if they can start get going, and then Joe, they can work that pick and pop pretty well. But they did, and I, you missed that one in the second half, maybe because it, it was you know around that twenty point range. But they ran a pick and pop where Watts got deep into the paint, two drew, drew two defenders, and it was actually what I thought was interesting, and I think this was some of Hauser's basketball savvy showing is he kind of faked the role, which, you know, normally over the last few years when you had Tillman and Winston running that, Tillman's running the opposite lane waiting for a pass from Winston, right? Well, this time, instead of with, with Watts and Hauser, Hauser almost deked on on the, the, the role and popped back out, which is something, I, I mean, usually when you think of pick and pop, you think set the screen and then flash. Well, this was a little different. He he got the defender going north and south and then went back and then he freed himself up with a ball fake. I mean, those those are things that can't re- really be taught. That's instinct, and I think those two guys have some pretty good instinct once they can get the reps together um, in working in that two man game. That that it can become a factor. Maybe not to the level that that uh, Winston and Tillman was because I think Tillman was was a better, much, much better finisher around the rim than, than Hauser is right now. Um, but but certainly, uh, it, it's something I think that if they work on, that it'll be a, a factor that teams are going to have to respect and, and you know, pick pick your poison of who you're going to take on that situation. 
uh, before we move on, uh, you know, when we were recording this podcast last week, we still weren't 100% certain if A.J. Hogard was the point guard for this team, and he's got the start each of the past two games. And as you guys have alluded to, it seems like he is kind of acclimated in the himself into this team pretty well i mean do do we do we think that this is the solution is is he the point guard going forward here i mean it, it, it's not that he doesn't that he's complete you know he's a freshman who's you know not i don't think a great defensive point guard by any means um but he, he's your best option now now the the one thing that is interesting is you see late in games finishing with um watts and and I do think that yesterday I couldn't tell like if that was trusting Watts down the stretch or the lead is big enough, giving Watts minutes, getting him comfortable there without a lot of pressure. And I, and and that's something that I that I I wish I'd thought of. And I didn't even think about it at the time. I thought about it, you know, hours later. Like what what those minutes for Watts, why he goes there as much, and because he was sort of asked about. It, it, anyway, it wasn't asked directly. And um, so I'm curious about, I mean, Watts is still, like if you put your best five on the floor, most talented guys, I don't think you know yet that it's, that it's always Hogard. And if Watts were to start to get really comfortable at the one and you've got Joshua Langford and Aaron Henry and Hauser and, and Kithier, whoever your bigs are and Hall and all these guys, you know, I, I, it, 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 there is still some question, I think, down the stretch. But I think that's up to uh, Rocket Watts. It would take Rocket Watts beginning to look very, in the team around him, beginning to look very good in those moments that he was at the one. And Izzo trusting that and wanting that in big moments. I, Hogarth, I think, still going to be the starting point guard, I would guess, all year. I think he'll play, you know, what, what 25-plus minutes yesterday. I think he'll play 20 minutes a game. I think the guy whose minutes you saw decrease yesterday and will with certain athletic matchups is Foster Lawyer. I found this interesting yesterday. They play Lawyer in the first half with Sissoko. And so you bring in the one, first guy who gives you really any any rim protection this year um, when you have maybe your, your weakest uh, defensive deal at point guard. So um, And, and Sissoko is a guy we should talk about a little bit too. So yeah, I, I don't know, Chris, if you think that, that Hogard is definitely the dude. Um, I think there's still some some questions about how they finish games, but I think his role is pretty probably going to be pretty stable at least at 20 minutes a game. Yeah, and I think a lot of people were, were have, have I think criticized or wondered why Izzo at this point in the year sometimes tinkers with lineups like he does this year. I mean, let's just not think about all the, the oddities of this year as it is, but, but this is why he does it. Cause he needs to find guys, what their strengths and weaknesses are and how to match them up in pairings of two and three per side. And I think that, you know, that that's going to be something to, to watch moving forward. If, if Hogard's defense does remain an issue, but I, I thought he played better defensively last night than he did at Rutgers at Nebraska. Um, just watching his footwork and watching him try to take angles to get in front of guys instead of letting them blow by him. Um, and I think that the smoothness on the offensive side is the big thing. I mean, listen, he's playing more minutes right now than 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 Rocket Watts. I mean, Watts played 15 minutes in each of the last two games. And yeah. that's going to change. I mean, eventually you would think that's going to change right. unless unless this is kind of the, the best that, that – 
they can do. I mean, Watts is, let's face it, you've got to play yourself into those minutes. And Watts kind of has to play himself back into those minutes because Hogard has played himself into those minutes at the one. I don't know. I mean, it, 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 whether or not Watts can ever feel comfortable running the offense, I mean, there was a couple points in sets last night where I didn't think he looked like he knew what he was doing. I mean, I thought I thought that he was he handed off and then just kind of looked lost and just kind of floated through the lane and around the other side. And, and I think it was when Hogard was in, or maybe it was I know it was actually Malik Hall on the wing. He's frantically waving Watts to go and 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 get something done. So you know that's and and that's maybe what the off season cost him is just that innate knowledge of what a point guard needs to do and the, the knowledge of each set and everyone else's uh, role in it rather than just being, I got the ball, I got to go to the basket and score. And that's, to me, that's what's going to dictate whether or not Watts over over Hogard right now is, is the situation. And you have to keep Hogard or keep Watts playing the two more. One thing I think that is interesting, though, is I, I do think Langford – you know, Langford played well in the second half, but missed some shots. I didn't think he played that well uh, offensively in the first half. And I, I do wonder, I, like, I think Langford starting next to Hogard makes a ton of sense, right? Veteran dude who gives you be in the right places, more traditional two guard, easier for a young point guard to play next to. But I do wonder is is you know if, if earlier we see those minutes be cut into by Watts. I mean, the dynamic is the, the thing is once they make the decision to bring Hogard into the rotation, and you take twenty minutes a game, there's it, it, there is a jam there. I mean, Gabe Brown, Rocket Watts, uh, you know, uh, uh, Joshua Langford, Foster Lawyer. There are only so many minutes, and and so somebody's minutes go down, and uh, you know, Gabe Brown, for example, and you know, uh, it, we'll see Rocket Watts's minutes. So I think, as Chris alluded to. That is, I, I think they will find a way. I think Rocket Watts will be playing in the 20s for the bulk of Big Ten play. But, again, those minutes come from somebody else. Yeah, Graham, you, you uh, kind of read my mind there. Josh Langford is where I was going here. I was wondering how, how long of a leash do we give him in terms of all those minutes? I don't know if I've seen a dude miss so many wide-open threes this year than Langford has. I understand he's coming off a two-year injury or anything, but uh, he has not found his shooting stroke yet. At least it doesn't seem like you know watching game to game. Well... You know, you have to because I think the it's the knowledge component. He know, he knows and understands the roles and 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 placements and spacings where everybody else needs to be. I mean, that's how he gets those open threes quite a bit, quite often. And quite frankly, I mean, you know, he he knows when when someone's driving in the lane where to, where to position himself. And you know, some of it I think is is just shooter slumps. And I think the second half he started to work his mid-range game a little bit more, and that that gave him a little bit of confidence. Then he hit another three, and 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 I think that that's going to be, you know, to me it's less about the offense for him and more about the defensive side because, I mean, Graham knows this more than anybody as as Russell Bird's champion uh, publicist <laughs> that that foot injuries do eventually, in some ways, cost you what you are as a defender and your lateral quickness. And I think, you know, Langford's starting to feel a little more comfortable, but where's the foot in terms, not necessarily of being injured, but, but how much range of motion has he lost with two surgeries? How, how, how much quickness has he lost? Um, that I think is going to be the bigger determining factor um, on the defensive side than the offensive side. Cause you know, the guy can shoot. 
I mean, he's always been that guy that that's going to take open shots and and create some things and and do that. And and when you shooters got to shoot, right? You're going to miss. I mean, you're not going to hit 100 percent of the shots all the time unless you're Graham. Yeah, <laughs> unless you're Graham going against Grant Long, right? <laughs> I knew I knew Grant Long's game so well. I played him in NBA Live '95 on on, on PlayStation. So I, and and uh, the uh, but uh, for people who don't know, I played in a three on three tournament against 50 year old Grant Long and uh, held my own on a windy day. Anyway, the um, the I, I agree with with Chris. I mean, I I think Langford is you know it's a tough deal. He comes back. You want him to come back. He's still a productive, good player. Um, but he's not who he was. Uh, he's, he's, you know, and so his role, it, it, because the Rocket Watts thing didn't work, is going to have to change to accommodate Watts. And a guy like, you know, Gabe Brown, um, I mean, Gabe, you know, there, there comes a point you're a junior and you still get lost on defense a little bit. Gabe is going to have to, um, and Gabe is just, and these guys are, I, you can talk about defense all they want, but if one of these guys steps up, steps up and starts making big shots and big moments, they're going to play. And we haven't seen that from Gabe Brown or Joshua Langford yet this year. Um, and so we'll see if that happens. they got lots of big games, lots of competitive games ahead. If somebody starts hitting shots that they can count on, they're going to play. All right, well, let's uh, let's move on and talk about the big guys. So if I remember correctly and, you know, maybe podcasts leading up to the beginning of the season, maybe not the preview one, but maybe the ones before that, we kind of thought that maybe Marcus Bingham would be the guy in the middle. And then during the non-conference games, maybe we uh, – Julius Marble was the guy that can play the five. But here we are five games in the conference, and it really seems like Kiffier has solidified himself as the number one. And the past two games, Matty Sissoko has come in, you know, within the first five, six minutes in the game as, as the number two center here. So I don't know if this is the rotation that we have quite expected. And, and Marble got a – to use NBA parlance, uh, uh, did not play coach's decision last night. So – uh, where do you guys see that situation? I know Malik Hall is, you know, part of that too as well, although he's not necessarily a five per se. Uh, Graham, are you liking what you see from Soko and, and Kithier and whatnot? Uh, I, well, Kithier, I think, has played really well, and I think he's played, you know, he was becoming this sort of fan enemy, number one, weirdly, and um, because not his fault, but I understood the frustration because he's limited athletically, but he's played so well that I think people now understand why he's playing versus other guys. Yep. Uh, the the marble thing is is sort of interesting. Sissoko, I think, is is part of the rotation now. Now, when he becomes part of the second half rotation, to me, is when you know that Izzo sort of trusts him and trusts his impact. But he played a memorable four minutes. I was surprised when I looked down and said, "Well, that was only four minutes," because I remember the whole thing. And it wasn't just that he had a couple blocks and he'll maul you, and you don't know what is going to happen when you go at him. I mean, that he is rim protection. He, you saw the uh, McConnell kid from uh, Rutgers look at him as he was driving it and decide not to attack him. You saw, uh, you know, Jacob Young do the same thing for Ruck. I mean, he is in their heads a little bit, and that's part of rim protection. And so he does provide that. Now, on the offensive end, is he anything <laughs> yet? Are you playing four on five? And, and you, know, I, you, know, those, you know, those are things that I think why he's not in the game in the second half. But uh, he's certainly worth fouls. Like, if you wound up in a close game with the Rutgers, and they're trying to play that Miles Johnson dude who was 0 for whatever from the free throw line, you're you're going to make them waste possessions with him, um, and so yeah. And, and then the marble thing is interesting because he was so good against Duke. I thought a game like yesterday, where you have a, a smaller like, to me, he might have been the guy. If you had asked me during the Duke game, 
okay, you're playing Ron Harper, you know, junior to start. That's the sort of thing that he, you know, Kithier and, uh, and Hauser struggled with at the Duke game and he was really good. It was, you know, fours who could drive you. And I don't know. I, I was, um, I'm surprised a little bit by his sort of, uh, you know, fade in the abyss here. I think some of it in this matchup in particular, I mean, Izzo said that, that he used marble on the scout team. Um, I think some of that was to try and get the wingspan um, for Sissoko and, and uh, Bingham in the paint. Um, but I did see, you mentioned about the offensive side with him. I mean, I, I've heard it and we've heard it since signing day last year that, that Sissoko is a deer in transition. And I saw that I, for the first time, and maybe it's because MSU finally got out and ran a little bit, but um, when he was in there, that to me was my, you know, the blocks, you know, you, you saw that early, you, you know, that he's got the wingspan, you know, that he's known for. Um, but this was the first time I saw him kind of as a, as a lane runner and he was faster than I even anticipated. Um, I thought some of it may have been a little bit of bluster, and but no, he he. I think there's there's definitely a role for that if he can continue. But from Marble's standpoint, I think there's going to be more matchups for him. And I think this is going to be what Izzo does. I think he's just going to mix and match guys. I mean, there'll be times when I think Bingham falls out. Um, I think I still think that, you know, the the lack of of physical size and, and girth for Bingham cost him. I mean, he, he had a couple possessions under the bucket that should have been dunks. Um, if he had, uh, the weight that, that say, uh, that say Sissoko has or the muscle tone, but I mean, it, it was almost like there was a strong breeze inside of Breslin that knocked him away from the basket, but it was actually just a little nudge. Um, so, but he got to the free throw line. Not that's, that's, I think a good sign, uh, for, for Bingham because, you know, you got to finish around the rim, but, Hey, he's a good free throw shooter too. And that's, you know, there's, there's a role for that as well. Um, you know, I, but Kithier, you know, Kithier has just been positionally sound. Um, he boxes out. He, he does the little things in ball screen defense that, that is demands. And I think that, that maybe if there's something that marble, uh, has struggled a little bit with, I think it's that. So, you know, it, it's going to be interesting to see. Maybe when there's more true bigs, that's where where uh, where, where Marble comes back in a little bit more. But um, I, I think it's going to be a juggling act, really through the rest of the year. And it's just going to be finding these ro- the right roles and the right matchups for all four of them. I wonder what Marcus Bingham's future here is. He is playing considerably less than he was last year, and I, I think no, none of us were exactly in love with his three point shooting. But that was also that was a component of his game the first two years, and that has been coached out of him. But it doesn't seem like he has adjusted, you know, to being a different type of player at all so far this season. What do you mean it was part of his game? Like uh, in terms, I, mean, I said we were not in love with the shooting, but he liked to sh- he did like to shoot three pointers, and that was part. At least he could stretch out a defense like that. In that hey, in listen, that I, I love to sh- I love to shoot three pointers. Graham loves to I shoot three pointers. I did say he was good at threes. I'm just if you're shooting twenty five. If you're shooting 25% and you're 6'11", you might want to scale him back a little bit. But I'm just saying yeah. he has not adjusted the other part. He has not improved in the other parts of his game as well. That's why I'm saying, do we, I mean, what is his future with Michigan State? That's kind of where I was going. That's where I was going with it. I would be surprised if all of these bigs are back next year. I mean, Kithier's not going to go anywhere because Kithier has, 
uh, as well as any player maybe I've ever been around there, a, a very good understanding of who he is. Like he is not – like Kithier is the opposite of me. Like I am a delusional athlete. <laughs> at the, uh, Kithier understands – I remember talking to him last year at Minnesota, and I was like, well, how long is your wingspan? He's like 6'8", you know, not helpful. <laughs> you know, because like he's 6'8 with a 6'8". Wingspan. Everybody else is like six eight with a seven four wingspan, right? That's why it usually works. And um, you know, but he 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 is. So I think Kithier will always have a role there. Understands who he is. He likes being part of the program. Um, and you know, he's well, why would he go? Um, you know, Sissoko is a young guy with a bunch of upside, and you know, I, I you know, gonna gonna stick around. So the the question will become, you know, Marble and 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 um, Bingham, and you know. Marble also to me seems like, and, and, and look, I have no information to say that this will happen, but if you're a guy like him and, and you don't, if you see Sissoko come in and you see a future for him, you know, you may decide I'm going to go somewhere else. They, I mean, they really, they, they talked about his lateral quickness like an Andre Hudson, um, but Andre Hudson was more kithier in the idea that he did all the little things right. And he had a nice jump hook. What's just real bizarre about this. And, and, and this is where I think, the way we're forced to cover the team this year because of the pandemic, where we don't have, it's not that we can't get a hold of an assistant coach via text and check in and get some intel or is or whatever. But it used to be you had before every game an open practice. And what, what were, came out of those is not only interviews, but all these conversations with people and you learned what was going on. Not all of it was for consumption right then. And, and um, I, I, I don't have a great feel of what's going on with Marble because if you had asked me after the Duke game that Marble would have a, you know, DNP coach's decision in a key game like against Rutgers with a physical team, I, I, would, have, I would have said no way in hell. So I don't, I don't really have a sense of what he doesn't. I mean, he's always been a little bit of a bull in a china shop, but uh, I would be stunned if both he and Bingham are back next year together. And I wouldn't be stunned if both of them left. Um, also, because, you you know, you, you start to become a numbers game. And I think you, you also need to kind of look at the evolution with with uh, Marble in particular. Look at the evolution of Xavier Tillman, um, because it was really it was really when it's in his sophomore year where he kind of blossomed a little bit and late in his sophomore year. So I do think that when when Izzo talks about the process, um, you know, remember, Julius Marble lost his father this summer. That's an emotional thing. There's you know, time that's spent away from basketball, time worrying about your family, everything else that goes along with that. And, you know, I think the holidays in particular were tough on him is even mentioned that um, I think your Christmas day game. Uh, so th there are components to this outside of basketball for him that it, it, I don't think you give up on him. And I don't think, I don't think by any means that the coaching staff is giving up on him, even if he didn't play in that game against Rutgers. Um, let's remember it's January 6th, you know, you know, check back with me on February 6th a little bit to kind of see where, where he's at in the rotation. Cause he might, he might be the guy that still emerges in that, you know, but there, as Izzo has said, um, there just hasn't been the separation with, with those guys. And, you know, someone, one of those guys needs to assert themselves and take over that position. And right now it's Kithier just simply because he, he is the, the cerebral guy who not just uh, is positionally sound, but also thinks the game a little bit ahead. I will check back in with you on February 6th, Chris, to see, yeah. if, to see if everything has changed. <laughs> let's, uh, 
let's assume that there will be a February 6th. <laughs> oh, by the way, guess what February 6th is? That's the game at Michigan. Hmm. All right. It's almost as if I plan, almost <laughs> as if I planned that. <laughs> that date was uh, buried in the back of your head, and you incepted it uh, at the right time mm-hmm. here. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Michigan State does will have one game in between now and the next time we record, and that's uh, scheduled Purdue, to scheduled scheduled to play a game on Friday, and that is uh, a home game versus Purdue. Now, Purdue's uh, game earlier this week was postponed. There is a chance that game will not play, and if that doesn't play, their next game would be at Iowa on Thursday. Uh, I don't know how much you guys want to look ahead to Iowa or we can talk about Purdue. I'll kind of leave this a uh, uh, participant's choice for you guys. Uh, I know Purdue has uh, won the last two games against these guys, including a blowout in West Lafayette last year. Um, this team just does kind of see a bit of a bugaboo for the for the Spartans. Trevion Williams, right? Um, yep. Really, I wasn't asking his name. I was just oh. talking about. <laughs> uh, I mean, he's he's but he's a uh, thank you, Phil. Though. Yeah, um, it, it stays in the pod. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, but he, he's a an interesting, difficult matchup, and I think he'll be a challenge for Michigan State's bigs. And I think th- that's good. I think he's it's almost like the JV before Garza. I mean, he's not he's a hell of a player too, but like uh, I think it'd be good for MSU to have to play this game in, in some ways. And what will be interesting is if it does get postponed, I haven't looked at Purdue's schedule. But Michigan State's got a bit of a gap, so it depends how long it gets postponed and how quickly things can be rearranged. Uh, you know, they don't play till the following. What do they have? Um, the following Thursday, so a Thursday. week from a week from Thursday, they play at Iowa. Um, right. So, so they do have some time off, regardless of playing Friday. Um, this would be a little bit longer, and I don't know. I mean, you know, especially when you're playing pretty well. You know, sometimes savoring the good taste is for a little bit longer helps. Uh, but sometimes just getting out there and keeping it going helps too. It, it, it's going to be, you know, and I don't know. Did, did we ever fully figure out if it was Purdue or Nebraska with that? Because I, I have not seen anything concrete on that. I've not. I've not seen it either. I don't know who's program it's within. Do you know, Phil? Have you uh, seen it's Purdue? I thought it was Purdue, but maybe maybe I'm wrong. It was mutually okay. agreed upon, but I don't know if anybody ever really said. The word COVID, or within the, I think I think they actually someone maybe did say COVID issues, but um, you know I don't necessarily know if anybody has uh, fessed up. I guess is probably the only way to describe it. It was a mutual decision to to not play for the health and safety. So take that for what it's worth. I guess I have seen I have seen a single tweet that said it was Nebraska, but I I I do not know. Yeah, no, I mean no, it's it's. It's it's still unknown. We you know we don't know what what, what the issue is, and um, I'm curious to see whether the game gets played. MSU hasn't had, uh, other than the Virginia game, has has had a pretty good run of this relative to other some other leagues, and you know like Penn State even in the, the Big Ten overall has had a pretty good run to begin to be, to be frank. And I think one of the things you're seeing now too is that these mutually agreed upon things. I think there is an understanding that in hoops more than football, if you have an outbreak, you got big problems. And right. you may have, you know, multiple weeks without games for a team, and, and it, it could get really difficult. You know, smaller rosters and percentages, and, you know, you get, a, you get a manager with a potential exposure somewhere, all of a sudden you're like, hey, let's just not play this one. And um, and that allows us to make sure we play the rest. So I think that that might be part of what, what what's happening with some of these games where they're it's not clear they have an outbreak, but there's just sort of a, an abundance of caution, as they're calling it, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, because I think if you think back to the Virginia game, right after that, they put their program on pause 
uh, with an yeah. outbreak. But there hasn't been any word from either of those programs, Nebraska or Purdue, uh, that they're pausing at team activities. So, I mean, it could have could have been a secretary in the office for all that anybody knows. It's just that's just kind of the world that we live in. It's just a lot of cryptic things that are going on with that. And part of it is the the, the HIPAA laws that this is this is one time when that actually comes into effect. All right. Any other basketball thoughts before we move on? No, I think we've covered it pretty well. I mean, I think this wound up being a much more interesting game than maybe. Uh, well, I, I think we always knew it could be an interesting game, and it, and it certainly was. There's a reason it was a 9 p.m. tip-off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, we just have one football item we want to discuss, and since we last recorded, uh, wide receiver Trayvon Morgan has entered the transfer portal. He is the 14th Spartan to leave the program this season. Uh, he had two catches for 46 yards and a touchdown in 2020. All of those came against Penn State. Uh, I do find it interesting that uh, you know he was a three-star player coming out of uh, Ohio Powerhouse Maslin, and uh, the Spartans beat out some some decent names for him as he had offers from Ole Miss, Iowa State, Cincinnati, Pitt, and Iowa, and uh, a bunch of other Group of Five schools. So this, I mean, this was a guy who who had quite a bit of interest in high school, and uh, he never really made the mark that I think people were anticipating uh, in East Lansing. Well, he had the knee injury in camp his, his true freshman year, um, which I think set him back a little bit. But, I mean, Mark D'Antonio talked a lot and used uh, quite often used the comparison to Plexico Burris because of his size. Now, I, I'm not really 100% sure if there was a situation where they were trying to maybe force him to tight end in, in kind of that grimy Jimmy Graham type mold because of his body and but they don't have and and i don't think they've got anybody coming in that's got kind of the physical skill set you saw it at, at the penn state game when he made that catch for the touchdown um you know from peyton thorne that he's got good length good reach and, and a guy that you can throw the ball over the top to and even in double coverage and make a play um but this is probably the first one where you say there's not it's not like there's another guy like him on the roster at that spot that you can say, okay, well, they got this guy coming up or this guy coming in from recruiting, you know, unless the, unless the, it's on the table at some point that we don't know yet that there, that there's some sort of graduate transfer or portal guy coming with similar size. But I mean, this is that to me, I think, you know, is a, a guy that, you know, from a red zone standpoint, you can maximize. And that's, I think, the one thing that, you know, that, that they've lost uh, with this. Yeah, it's the first guy that I think fans probably go, oh, dang. <laughs> you know, like Devontae Dobbs was obviously a big recruit. Julian Barnett was, uh, you know, at one point a promising prospect and a good athlete. But neither had 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 shown what they were recruited for. And, and, and Trayvon Morgan had that catch against Penn State that everybody goes, wait a second. Okay, is this starting now? And um, and so I, I think that's uh, I think that is uh, you know I, I, look I think that's that, that's something I I would say for MSU fans don't get too close to any player right now don't, yeah. don't yeah, because you just don't know and, and these guys even if their role may seem significant moving forward I think you're also talking about guys who are um, you know you, they weren't recruited by this coach and they weren't recruited by this staff largely and and they. They may, you know, this is a weird year for a lot of people with the pandemic and all this stuff. And so why not, you know, you're not going to be punished probably for transferring. You get the year of eligibility back. If you want something else, um, you know, this is a good time to do it. Yeah, he'll have four years to play as a redshirt yeah. freshman. So that's that's one thing. And, I mean, you think about it. I mean, the guy that everybody is most concerned about losing has two career catches and played in three games. 
So, I mean, you know, all, all his catches came in that Penn State game. So, but you're right. I, I think that the portal is significant. I wouldn't be surprised before uh, spring semester begins that um, the delayed spring semester that, that, that there may not be some more action going on. You kind of mentioned this, but uh, Chris, but you said there's no graduate transfers yet, and there there were no receivers in this year's recruiting class at this moment. So, yeah, there's a there maybe appears to be a void there that can can be filled one way or the other. They went heavy on the receiving group last year, and I think this coaching staff likes a lot of those guys because you saw the the lockets and and the uh, Montori Fosters and and Ricky White's playing early. Um, you know, last, the the last D'Antonio class was pretty heavy on receivers, so there are some guys that they like, and yeah. and the upper class and the upperclassmen um, have shown that they're not necessarily the the kind of guys that will be NFL early entry guys at this point, but they're very productive college players. Yeah, they're really good. I mean, the only guy I can think of leaving early right now would be a a, a good year by Jalen Naylor. You know, with his speed and everything, the receiver he's becoming. You know, he might be able to leave, leave ahead of his eligibility. Um, but, yeah, you've got a good, productive young group. And, um, I, 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 yeah, I, I think that's a position. There are a lot of other needs to fill. Now, they may have not thought Morgan was leaving. I don't know if they knew they were losing him. That may have, you know, and, and we'll see who else comes in. I would I would bet there may, may be a wide up. But it, also, if you're a receiver, like think about being a transfer receiver. It, it's not – unless you're a superstar, which I don't know why you're leaving, or you're some, you know – I mean, there's not clear opportunity at MSU at that position, like there might be at some others. So I don't know that it's an easy place to convince somebody to come in. Where, like at quarterback, you can say, "Look, we've got one unproven redshirt freshman who's got some ability, but this is a good opportunity as anywhere to play." Right? Um, where a receiver, it's like they had a transfer from Western Michigan who was dynamic there, who's become pretty good at Michigan State already, who's got years left. J- uh, Jalen Naylor is back. Trey Mosley is back. You know, there aren't there aren't um, there just aren't the, the 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 easy opportunities to be had, and so that that's also got to be considered. All right, well, that wrap up this week's podcast. Unless you guys got anything else you want to add before we uh, check out of here for the week? Let me think. No, do we need do we need to make any obligatory Western Michigan references? Or I didn't I didn't get to it yet. I did get, I did just get off the phone with Steve Hawkins before this. <laughs> there we go. Western Michigan coach before this. There so. We go. There we go. Yeah, that, that, that's that's there. The MSU women, big game Thursday night against Maryland. Huge I'm gonna go game. Um, we'll, we'll find out a little bit about whether they're, uh, you know, where they're at. And then the hockey program, you know, has a series against Michigan this weekend. So some big happenings. Unless you get the NFL playoffs. Like, if you're just a sports fan and an MSU fan, this is a great weekend to sit around and watch Thursday, Friday, Saturday MSU games and NFL playoff games and enjoy the heck out of it. All right, thank you for joining us for this edition of Spartan Speak, a production of the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press, and the USA Today Network. If you enjoyed this podcast and the work surrounding it, please consider subscribing. You can follow our coverage at lsj.com, freep.com, and on Twitter at Graham underscore Couch, at Chris Solari, at Phil underscore Front, and LSJ Greenwhite. Thanks for listening.